Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, turn them back to, once again, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, we will actually finish this particular portion um, this week, and then I kind of want to try to do like a summarization next week of this, you know, Discipleship 101. And, and as you see on the screen there before you, this is uh, part five. It's actually our sixth week. Um, the first week was just from chapter one, and the next five weeks have all been just from, cha- uh, uh, I said chapter one, I meant verse one. And the next five weeks have all been from verse two. And so we're going to finish verse two today. And the next week, I'm going to look at the fruit of making disciples, right? We've talked about the recipe for making disciples. Uh, What has God given us in his word in order that we might uh, know what we're to be doing and how it is that we're to be doing it? And next week, I want to look at at the fruit of that. Uh, But today, I want to finish this second verse here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as we've looked at, since we started uh, giving our attention to 2 Timothy chapter 2, is there's this task that the church has been given, right, of making disciples in Jesus Christ. And we began by laying a foundation of saying Jesus himself has given this charge to the disciples. Again, I remind you of very familiar words of Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them. So he's talking to his disciples. This is right before his ascension. When Jesus would leave the earth, he would return to the Father. And he would give the disciples this charge. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, we call this passage, it's most commonly referred to as the Great Commission. The commissioning of Jesus' disciples from Jesus himself. He says, this is what I want you to do. It really is a very simple commissioning, all right? And so when Jesus gives this commissioning to his disciples, what we learn, what we know, because we have the completed word of God, is that this is the same task that the church, as long as she dwells on this earth, is given from Jesus. And that mission, again, is quite simple. Number one, operate under his authority. Jesus told the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. So because all authority has been given to Jesus, we have the authority and the power to go and speak on behalf of Jesus. And as Pastor Aaron's been talking about in our 9 a.m. discipleship class, he's been talking about the presence or, or the... the, the um, a significance of the Holy Spirit that came and indwelt the believers in carrying out this task. So the church operates under the authority of Jesus. And with that authority, the task is to make disciples of all the nations. And so we have the authority of Jesus, which, by the way, is rooted in what we've been singing. Or what we just finished singing, right? Why does Jesus have all authority and in heaven and on earth? Because Jesus is the only one who has overcome death. And so by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, 
The church is given the commission to go and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a person who adheres to what the teacher or the leader teaches. So, and I know for some of you, you think, man, this is, six, this is the sixth week of you telling us some of the same things. Yes, that's exactly right. Because we cannot understate, excuse me, we cannot overstate the importance of understanding that a disciple of Jesus is somebody who walks after Jesus, who follows the pattern that Jesus established, who adheres to the words that Jesus spoke. To claim to be a disciple of Jesus and neglect what Jesus taught and what Jesus did is not consistent with the expectation of a disciple of Jesus Christ. So a disciple is somebody who walks as the one they say they're following. And need I remind you, the invitation of Jesus in the New Testament was, follow me. That's what Jesus said, right? And we, if we're familiar with the Gospels, we saw this all throughout his earthly ministry as he went about and ministered and he encountered the crowds and he saw the people. He said to him, come and follow me. Learn from me. Hear me speak. See me teach. And then do what you see me doing. This is how Jesus operated. And so Jesus says, as you encounter these people, who begin adhering to the things that I've taught, professing a belief in who I am and and what I've done. Jesus says, baptize them. That's this outward identification that I'm with Jesus. Jesus was baptized to mark the beginning of his earthly ministry, and he set a model for the church to follow. To be baptized as Jesus was baptized, identifying that we were following him. So he says, you baptize them and then you teach them all that I've commanded. Why? Because now that we've identified with Jesus through our proclamation of faith and our our visible identification of that inward faith through the outward act and obedience of baptism, now you walk like Jesus. You follow the model that Jesus set. And our text for seeking to work out this following Jesus and making disciples reality that we started looking at a number of weeks ago is 2 Timothy chapter 2. We might say that in this charge to make disciples, Jesus in his commission to the disciples, he gave the 30,000 foot view. He was up here and he said, brothers, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples. And as we've talked about, he said, we want you to baptize them, we want you to teach them, we want you to model for them how to follow me. But as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, what we could rightly say is Paul has went from a 30,000 foot view to to a right now, right in front of us, ground level view. And so again, by way of reminder, the recipe for disciples thus far consisted of born-again believers, verse 1, be strengthened by faith that is in Christ Jesus. You must be a born-again believer, okay? Born-again believers are ingredient number one in the recipe for making disciples. Number two, it's the preeminence of the gospel. Paul told Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
the gospel was preeminent in the Apostle Paul's life, and he taught it to Timothy, and he taught it to others as well, but he reminded Timothy, what you've heard me teach, what I've imparted to you, teach to other people also, the preeminence of the gospel. We also see the need for faithful people. He says there, when you, you've, you've heard me in the presence of many witnesses, take what you've heard and entrust it to faithful men. So entrust what you've heard to faithful people. And last week we looked at the reality. He says that, that one word there, faithful men. Now again, I'm not suggesting that women can't make disciples. I'm not suggesting that women don't play a part in discipleship. In fact, last week we looked at Titus chapter 2 and it, it demonstrates the exact opposite of that. But we cannot get away from the design that God has created and put in motion that men are to lead. And Paul tells Timothy to entrust what he's heard to faithful men. And so this morning I want to look at what I'm going to call, it's not all there is to the puzzle, but in our text here this morning, it's the final ingredient to our recipe of making disciples. A couple of times over the course of examining the recipe for making disciples, we've considered the realities of cooking, right, or baking something. We've talked about, you know, when you deviate from a recipe, you don't get what you set out for. If you use salt because you don't have enough sugar to substitute for that salt, your cookies are going to be disgusting. You're not going to get the things that you intended for. And I want to consider, I want to go back to the kitchen one more time this morning. And there's a number of people just in this church here that I know that really enjoy baking. And I know that many of you here enjoy the fruit of those who enjoy baking, right? You guys ever had a Misty Reckelhoff or a Linda Russ cupcake? Hey, I want to know real quick, um, Misty, are you making any of those for the auction this weekend? Yeah, she said yes. Linda, where are you at? You downstairs at Children's Church? She's downstairs. Does it tell us at the auction who made what? I need to know. (laughs) But, you know, I actually sought Misty out this week and talked to her about this reality of baking, right? And, And what... Look, if you've had a cupcake, I don't need to tell you, okay? But it's more than just making a cupcake and delivering a product. One of the things that I know I've seen played out in my life that's very dear to us, and I know Misty, and I asked her if I could use her as an illustration. My wife told me to quit using her, so I asked Misty if I could use her. But one of the things that has been just amazing for us to see in our lives is the joy that Misty has when she's given the opportunity to share in her love of baking with my daughters. She has the opportunity to teach my girls how to bake like Misty Reckelhoff. Now, any of you that know me very well and know my family dynamic, I wouldn't trade my girls for anything in the world, but they will probably never be able to make cupcakes like Misty Reckelhoff. But that's not because Misty doesn't try to teach them. That's not because Misty didn't have the opportunity to come alongside them. My girls, they've really taken a liking to baking. They've baked all kinds of things. Cookies and cakes and cupcakes. My girls even bake dog treats. 
many of you have probably bought dog treats for your dogs that my girls have made. But if I ask my girls, hey, when you get to bake, would you rather bake at home, honey, I love you, in the kitchen with your mom, or would you rather go to Misty's house and bake a cake or cupcakes with Misty? My girls unequivocally are going to choose to go bake a cake with Misty. It's not because they don't love their mama, but it's because they can bake with mama anytime. But to get to bake with Misty and learn and try to duplicate and emulate what she does in the kitchen when it comes to those cupcakes is special. And so they love when they get to go learn how to make delicious things. And when I asked Misty about this, and if I could use her as an illustration, and if, and if my assumption was correct about the reward of teaching my girls to bake, she shared with me a few things that she especially enjoyed. You see, I want you to understand, Misty makes cupcakes because she has a reputation for making delicious cupcakes. So people want Misty to make cupcakes. And so Misty very graciously makes cupcakes. But when, when Misty has the opportunity to share with my girls and make cupcakes, it's really not any longer about the cupcakes. It's about the girls. It's about teaching. And she told me, she said, what I really enjoy when, like, your girls, for example, come to my house and bake, she said, it's really neat to see them just stick right by my side. They do exactly what I do. They pour what I pour. They measure what I measure. They mix what I mix. They follow my every instruction. What was especially interesting to hear was when she spoke to the reality that baking, as I've mentioned, with my girls was not just about baking together. It's about the joy and the love that she's able to share with them in teaching them how to make cupcakes. It's, an, it's, it's literally an embodiment of this reality that we see here where Paul says, and in, in the end of verse 2, who will be able to teach others also. And so our text is a whole, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Again, we're going to read it together. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The reality of baking, being in a kitchen, is if Misty doesn't teach someone how to make cupcakes like Misty Reckelhoff, and I don't know if they can be duplicated. I'd be happy for anybody to try. I'll sample them. Don't poison me, but I'll try them. But if Misty doesn't teach someone how to make cupcakes like Misty Reckelhoff, when Misty Reckelhoff is no longer able to make cupcakes, the world does not get to enjoy the fruit of her cupcakes. If you've had one, you know how significant this is. But this is the reality of what's at stake that Paul tells Timothy. If you do not take what you have heard from me and entrust it to faithful men who will teach others also, where will the gospel go? How will it go forth? How will it be repeated? How will it be taught? How will we make disciples, Timothy? So he says you must teach. And so the final ingredient and the recipe for making disciples is multiplication through teaching. 
And there I've got those who multiply. So we need this reality of people who multiply. And that's this, again, last part of verse 2. Who will be able to teach others also. If disciples are going to be made, then people must be taught. If we sit on have, then people do not learn. It literally, that is the gospel, becomes a thing that's passed from generation to generation. And that's exactly what we see. Paul, he lays out for us here. There's actually four generations of gospel impact in two verses. Paul says, what you've heard from me, this is actually just in one verse, it's all in verse two. Generation number one is Paul, what you've heard from me. Generation number two is Timothy, what you have heard. Generation number three, Timothy's disciples entrust to faithful men. Generation number four, Timothy's disciples' disciples, the others, who will be faithful to teach others. Literally, what's transpiring here is a carrying on of the gospel from generation to generation to generation by faithful proclamation and teaching of said gospel to people who will teach it to others. You see, biblical discipleship requires multiplication. Where there is no multiplication, there is no discipleship. My girls, many of you know, we've been homeschooling this year, and, uh, and, and I don't remember which one. I guess it probably would have been Jilly because Joy's passed that. But as Jilly was getting to this point where she was looking at different numbers and times tables and starting to learn multiplication and different things, I trust all of us know this morning, we've encountered this with Jilly, anything multiplied by zero is what? Zero. Anytime you multiply anything by zero, you have zero. And so we entrust, we multiply what has been given to us by giving it to others who will be faithful to give it to those who follow them. And I want to be very clear, and I've said this a number of times, this is not new, but sometimes we say these things simply as a way of reminder, right? No person who is in Christ, that's verse 1 of 2 Timothy 2, 2, is exempt from the task of being strengthened for making disciples. It was interesting. It was actually, you know, we got to have a conversation this morning as a leadership team. We've been talking about this discipleship stuff and, and just this reality that nobody is exempt in the church from making disciples. And so if we want to multiply, we must teach. But there are requirements for teaching if we are to experience biblical multiplication. And so just as we've done throughout the, the course of this study, um, I've given you the ingredient, and now I want to give you three applications or three things that are necessary this morning to see multiplication take place. Number one, requirement number one is faithfulness. And we've talked about this, so I won't exhaust it too much. Because we've talked about this reality of faithful people, right, a few weeks back. But in our context here, as we talk about faithfulness and trying to multiply, it's a faithfulness to the process of making disciples means to do it right, to strive to seek to do it the right way, to make disciples. 
See, the church has been called to multiplication. And the best way to accomplish the tasks that we've been called to, to produce the results that we desire, is to follow the recipe. And as I've alluded to already by way of review, we all understand most of us in this room have cooked or baked something, right? And if we deviate from the, the, the goal or the intention when we set out, any, deviate, any deviation is going to give us something different than our expressed desire. Story of a mom and her daughter who were cooking a Christmas ham. And this mom and this daughter, we're going to say the daughter's eight. Completely arbitrary, but I'm going to pick a number because we're going to look at a number of generations here. So you got an eight-year-old daughter cooking a ham for Christmas with her mom. And as they begin preparing this ham, the first thing they do is cut both ends off the ham. And the daughter, the eight-year-old, says, Mom, why do we cut the ends off the ham? Mom says, well, that's how my mom taught me to do it. Okay. They baked the ham. They had Christmas. They went on about their business. But the mom got thinking, why do we cut the ends off the ham? So mom called grandma of the eight-year-old, her mom. And she said, Mom, we were baking a Christmas ham, and, and, and your granddaughter asked me, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And I told her, because that's how you taught me to do it. So, Mom, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And her mom tells her, well, that's what my mom taught me. So she said, okay, appreciate it. We're done there, right? No. Grandma calls great-grandma. So now we're four generations removed from where we started. Mom, or daughter, mom, grandma, great-grandma. And grandma says to great-grandma, your granddaughter called me the other day and asked why we cut the ends off our Christmas hams. And I didn't have an answer beyond that's what you taught me to do. So great-grandmother of the eight-year-old, why do we cut the ends off the Christmas ham? To which the great-grandmother replied, because that was the only way I could fit the ham in the oven. Now, at the end of the day, the family still wound up with a Christmas ham. But because the family missed the origin behind why the ham was prepared the way that it was, they lost ham. You see, it was no longer necessary to cut the ends off the ham to make it because as time passed, they had bigger ovens. Sometimes we have two ovens, so we just cut it in half and put half in each one. We see there were unknown consequences. For the mom and the daughter when they simply had been taught about baking a ham. You see, faithfulness ultimately is not faithfulness without following the recipe. And when it comes to making disciples, God's word has given us the recipe right here. We need to teach others. We need to instruct others with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite them to follow in the footsteps of us as we follow Jesus that they too might be a disciple. So requirement number one is faithfulness to the recipe or faithfulness to the task. Second requirement is, is trust. You see, there's a very basic requirement for teaching truth that is going to produce multiplication in the church. The teacher must be trustworthy. I've said a number of times that one of the biggest reasons that the church has lost its effect in the world that we live in is because the people who are quote-unquote leading the church are not trustworthy. We say one thing and we do something different. 
You, it's, it's ad nauseum, week after week, month after month, that you see these accounts of people, prominent Christian figures, who are making a mockery of the name of Jesus. You can't trust them. They're not committed to truth. Nobody follows someone or listens to someone that they do not believe can be trusted. If you're not trustworthy, people are not going to follow you. And so to be trustworthy is to adhere to that which is right. And as the church commits to the recipe, or again, this, this, this um, commission from Jesus, this model of, of making disciples, she will be trustworthy. I want to go back to the kitchen and consider my girls and Misty and her cupcakes. Number one, if Misty's cupcakes were disgusting, my girls would not want to make them. We could talk about how great they are, but at the end of the day, if they're not good, nobody's going to trust Misty to make, her, to, for, to make them some cupcakes. But in fact, it's the exact opposite because she has a track record of making good. That's why they ask her to make them and not me because she has a track record of making good cupcakes. My girls would still want to spend time with Misty if her cupcakes were disgusting, but they wouldn't want to bake cupcakes with her. But because my girls have tasted the homemade frosting and just that soft, crumbly goodness that is Misty's cupcakes, they wanted to make some for themselves. And when they wanted to make cupcakes that tasted like Misty's, they knew where to go. Because time and time and time and time again, Misty made delicious cupcakes. So as people follow teaching and as people follow instruction, the task is accomplished. Again, we're talking about the teaching and instruction of Jesus. As we follow these things, the task is accomplished and everyone benefits. That's the reality, right? Everyone, but the world, we talked about this last week, right? Like if the church was faithful to live out the gospel that they claim to believe, everybody benefits from that. Our homes, our churches, our communities, everyone benefits. Perhaps you've heard the saying, if you give a man a fish, he will eat for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he will eat for a lifetime. We can go fishing today after church. I don't know if we'd catch anything. It's kind of cold. But in the event that we did, we could eat our fill today. But if we don't learn how to fish today... We're going to be hungry tomorrow. And so it is with cupcakes and with disciples. Don't just give me a a misty cupcake. Teach me how to make them. Don't just become a disciple or claim to become a disciple. Teach others how to be a disciple too. And our third and final requirement Multiplication is love. Love. Anytime we talk about a task or a process that is to be completed, there has to be a recognition 
of why that task or process matters. So what's the the motivation for making disciples? What's the motivation for the church to make disciples? The simplest answer I can give you is love. Why does the church make disciples? Love. First is love for Christ. The Bible tells us, 1 John, that we love, why? We love because he first loved us. And making disciples is what those whom love Jesus is called to do. So we seek to make disciples. We seek to multiply, to be faithful, to teach what we've been taught, ultimately because we love Jesus. And if we love Jesus and we believe that as we sang this morning that in Christ there is no, there is no guilt in life, there is no power in death, Like Jesus has overcome death and the grave. Jesus is the means between righteousness and unrighteousness. Jesus is the means between a right relationship with God and being separated from God. And when we understand these things, when we navigate the word of God and we see that the heart of God is that he would sacrifice his own son for the purpose of redeeming sinful man, and then we get to count ourselves as redeemed, the only natural response is a love for God that says, help me make disciples, Jesus. And so we demonstrate our love for him by being obedient and following what he taught. There's love for Christ. Secondly is the love of those who need to be reached or discipled, those whom we'll multiply. You recognize the recipe for making disciples and making disciples is really for the benefit of those who need to be discipled, Right? Like it's for the benefit of those who need to be reached with the gospel and then need to be grown up into maturity in Christ. And we understand this when we recognize that we are called to have a love for lost people. And I want to be honest this morning. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know. It's hard sometimes to love lost people, right? In so many cases and instances, they don't think like the church does. They don't behave like the church does. They're not interested with the same things that the church is interested in. And that makes sense because they're part of the world, not the body of Christ. But God's word calls us to have love and compassion. I mean, you look at the model that Jesus employed. How many times in the gospels do we see the words, and Jesus looked at the crowds and had compassion for them. Jesus looked at the crowds and he was moved to compassion. Ultimately, Jesus' death, his self-sacrifice, was to fulfill the will of the Father. But there is no denying that we're the benefactor. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you have benefited from the love of Christ that was focused on someone besides himself. Jesus was focused on the Father and the world that would be reached. And so as we consider this recipe for making disciples, 
love for Christ and we have love for those who need to be discipled and need to be reached. And listen, this will only happen, as we've talked about, as the gospel is preeminent in our lives. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the number one priority, then there's going to be all kinds of other things going on and all kinds of uh, distractions and, 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 and motivations and all these other kinds of things that we, if we're going to love people that are hard to love because they're outside the church and they don't function and operate like the church, we must operate with a gospel perspective of preeminence. Because the gospel that saved us motivates us to share the gospel that can save others. And biblical love is always about the recipient. God so loved the world that he gave. The recipient of God's love was not God. It was those whom Jesus would die to redeem. Biblical love is never about self. It's always about the recipient of that love. And so we live out and we teach the gospel so that others can benefit. And that is to say so that others could be saved and grow to maturation in Christ. You see, the process of multiplication is the model that Jesus employed in making disciples. And it's the ongoing multiplication that results in the gospel going forth and lives being changed. And if we multiply, what we've been taught is a must. We must teach the things that we have been taught. And teaching requires that you be faithful to the message and the task. Teaching requires that you be trustworthy. And teaching requires that we be motivated by love. And as the gospel goes forth in multiplication through teaching, the things that we have been taught, disciples will be made. And the task that Jesus has given to the church will be accomplished, and the Father will be glorified. Jesus' model, Jesus' ministry was multiplication. We're called to multiply we faithful, we trustworthy, are we motivated by love? Let's pray. Father God, what a tremendous privilege we have to know, God, that you have given your authority to your son Jesus, and he has in turn given that authority to the church. And that that authority is what we need to accomplish the task. Father, the task is to multiply, to reproduce, to call others into a relationship by grace through faith with you, God. And then, and then in doing so, we would bring them through the process of discipleship, God, whereby they would walk as your son Jesus walked. And so, God, we thank you for the privilege, God, to know you and to know your heart. I'm so thankful this morning, God, that in, in your perfect plan and in your perfect will, you've given us your word whereby we can know you and we can know your heart and your desire, God, and we can consider the love with which you have loved. And God, I pray today that that love would compel us to go forth. And I pray, God, that we would seek to carry out this recipe of making disciples. Because, God, as we've noted, 
When the church makes disciples, the whole world benefits. And so help us to this end today, God, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray.